Chapter Three of the Daffodil Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Daffodil Mystery by Edgar Wallace. Chapter Three: The Man Who Loved Lyne. Two days later, Thornton Lyne sat in his big limousine, which was drawn up on the edge of Wandsworth Common, facing the gates of the jail. Poet and poseur he was, the strangest combination ever seen in man. Thornton Lyne was a storekeeper, a bachelor of arts, the winner of the Mangate Science Prize, and the author of a slim volume. The quality of the poetry therein was not very great, but it was undoubtedly a slim volume, printed in queerly ornate type, with old-fashioned S's and wide margins. He was a storekeeper because storekeeping supplied him with caviar and peaches, a handsome little two-seater, a six-cylinder limousine for state occasions, a country house and a flat in town, the decorations of which ran to a figure which would have purchased many stores of humbler pretensions than Lyne's Sir First Emporium. To the elder Lyne, Joseph Emanuel of that family, the inception and prosperity of Lyne's Sir First Emporium was due. He had devised a sale system which ensured every customer being attended to the moment he or she entered one of the many departments which made up the splendid whole of the emporium. It was a system based upon the age-old principle of keeping efficient reserves within call. Thornton Lyne succeeded to the business at a moment when his slim volume had placed him in the category of the gloriously misunderstood. Because such reviewers as had noticed his book wrote of his poetry using inverted commas to advertise their scorn, and because nobody bought the volume despite its slimness, he became the idol of men and women who also wrote that which nobody read, and in consequence developed souls with the celerity that a small boy develops stomachache. For nothing in the wide world was more certain to the gloriously misunderstood than this. The test of excellence is scorn. Thornton Lyne might, in different circumstances, have drifted upward to sets even more misunderstood, yea, even to a superior set to marriage and soap and clean shirts and fresh air. Only his father died of a surfeit, and Thornton became the line of lines served first. His first inclination was to sell the property and retire to a villa in Florence or Capri. Then the absurdity, the rich humor of an idea, struck him. He, a scholar, a gentleman, and a misunderstood poet, sitting in the office of a store, appealed to him. Somebody remarked in his hearing that the idea was rich. He saw himself in character, and the part appealed to him. To everybody's surprise he took up his father's work, which meant that he signed checks, collected profits, and left the management to the souls and the knees whom old Napoleon Lyne had relied upon in the foundation of his empire. Thornton wrote an address to his three thousand employees, which address was printed on decided antique paper in queerly ornate type with wide margins. He quoted Seneca, Aristotle, Marcus Aurelius, and the Iliad. The address secured better and longer reviews in the newspapers than had his book. He had found life a pleasant experience, all the more piquant because of the amazement of innumerable ecstatic friends, who clasped their hands and asked awfully, how can you, a man of your temperament? Life might have gone on being pleasant, if every man and woman he had met let him have his own way. Only there were at least two people with whom Thornton Lyne's millions carried no weight. 
It was warm in his limousine, which was electrically heated. But outside, on that raw April morning, it was bitterly cold, and the shivering little group of women who stood at a respectful distance from the prison gates drew their shawls tightly about them as errant flakes of snow whirled across the open. The common was covered with a white powder, and the early flowers looked supremely miserable in their wintry setting. The prison clock struck eight, and a wicket gate opened. A man slouched out, his jacket buttoned up to his neck, his cap pulled over his eyes. At sight of him, Lyne dropped the newspaper he had been reading, opened the door of the car, and jumped out, walking towards the released prisoner. "'Well, Sam,' he said genially, "'you didn't expect me.' The man stopped as if he had been shot, and stood staring at the fur-coated figure. Then, "'Oh, Mr. Lyne,' he said brokenly. "'Oh, Governor,' he choked, and tears streamed down his face, and he gripped the outstretched hands in both of his, unable to speak. "'You didn't think I'd desert you, Sam, eh?' said Mr. Lyne, all aglow with consciousness of his virtue. "'I thought you'd given me up, sir,' said Sam Stay, huskily. "'You're a gentleman, you are, sir, and I thought to be ashamed of myself.' "'Nonsense, nonsense, Sam. Jump in the car, my lad. Go along. People will think you're a millionaire.' The man gulped, grinned sheepishly, opened the door and stepped in, and sang with a comfort into the luxurious depths of the big brown cushions. "'God, to think there are men like you in the world, sir. Why, I believe in angels, I do.' "'Nonsense, Sam. Now you come along to my flat, and I'm going to give you a good breakfast and start you fair again.' "'I'm going to try and keep straight, sir. I am. Shelp me.' It may be said in truth that Mr. Lyne did not care very much whether Sam kept straight or not. He might, indeed, have been very much disappointed if Sam had kept to the straight and narrow path. He kept Sam as men keep chickens and prize cows, and he collected Sam as other men collect stamps in China.' Sam was his luxury and his pose. In his club he boasted of his acquaintance with this representative of the criminal class, for Sam was an expert burglar and knew no other trade, and Sam's adoration for him was one of his most exhilarating experiences. And that adoration was genuine. Sam would have laid down his life for the pale-faced man with the loose mouth. He would have suffered himself to be torn limb from limb if— in his agony he could have brought ease or advancement to the man who, to him, was one with the gods. Originally, Thornton Lyne had found Sam whilst that artist was engaged in burgling the house of his future benefactor. It was a whim of Lyne's to give the criminal a good breakfast, and to evince an interest in his future. Twice had Sam gone down for a short term, and once for a long term of imprisonment, and on each occasion Thornton Lyne had made a parade of collecting the returned wanderer, driving him home, giving him breakfast and a great deal of worldly and unnecessary advice, and launching him forth upon the world with ten pounds, a sum just sufficient to buy Sam a new kit of burglar's tools. Never before had Sam shown such gratitude, and never before had Thornton Lyne been less disinterested in his intentions. There was a hot bath, which Sam Stay could have dispensed with, but which, out of sheer politeness, he was compelled to accept— a warm and luxurious breakfast, a new suit of clothes, not with two, but four five-pound notes in the pocket. After breakfast, Lyne had his talk. "'It's no good, sir,' said the burglar, shaking his head. "'I tried everything to get an honest living, but somehow I can't get on the straight life. I drove a taxi-cab for three months after I came out, 
till a busy fellow tumbled on to me not having a license, and brought me up under the Prevention of Crimes Act. It's no use my asking you to give me a job in your shop, sir, because I couldn't stick it. I couldn't, really. I'm used to the open-air life. I like being my own master. I'm one of those fellows you've read about. The word begins with A. Adventurers, said Lyne, with a little laugh. Yes, I think you are, Sam, and I'm going to give you an adventure after your own heart. And then he began to tell a tale of base ingratitude, of a girl he had helped, had indeed saved from starvation, and who had betrayed him at every turn. Thornton Lyne was a poet. He was also a picturesque liar. The lie came as easily as the truth, and easier since there was a certain crudeness about truth which revolted his artistic soul. And as the tale was unfolded of Odette Ryder's perfidy, Sam's eyes narrowed. There was nothing too bad for such a creature as this. She was wholly undeserving of sympathy. Presently Thornton Lyne stopped, his eyes fixed on the other to note the effect. "'Show me,' said Sam, his voice trembling. "'Show me a way of getting even with her, sir, and I'll go through hell to do it.' "'That's the kind of stuff I like to hear,' said Lyne, and poured out from the long bottle which stood on the coffee tray a stiff tot of Sam's favorite brandy. "'Now I'll give you my idea.' For the rest of the morning the two men sat almost head to head, plotting woe for the girl, whose chief offense had been against the dignity of Thornton Lyne, and whose virtue had incited the hate of that vicious man. End of chapter 3